Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and all ships at sea, and welcome to another episode of Tall Tales and Tall Boys, the podcast about everything, the podcast about nothing, just about having some good talking and some good drinking. My name's Zach. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, back once again, Pappy is on special assignment today. He is off in the Swiss Alps looking in vain for Carmen San Diego. But never fear, ladies and gentlemen, because I have a wonderful stand in uh, with me once again is El Cefe. Joey, what's going on, baby? Happy man, that's fine. I'm great, man. How are you? Uh, you know, about half. Yeah, and what's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? How we doing? <laughs> it's you know, that was always something my grandpa said, and I never knew what the hell it meant, but it tickles me. Well, and it, it makes me think of him. It's so. one of those things that makes more sense as you get older. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, first things first. Um, before we get into anything, obviously. As uh, Joey wasn't here for the previous uh, episode, there will be no uh, way back today. But uh, we got to get to the important part. So, cheers, ladies and gentlemen. Mmm, baby. Mm. Changing it up a little bit today. Normally, uh, normally me and Pappy are basic bitches. Normally, we're drinking the Bud Light, but because somebody's too good for that. Yeah, per per my uh, <laughs> per, per his contract, his writer, the writer on his contract. Exactly. Yeah, my uh, <laughs> agent, my agent requested Blue Moon. <laughs> yeah, that's why he's currently bleeding out in a boat. <laughs> but uh, we're dr- we're drinking some Blue Moon, which is absolutely delicious. It's it's never a bad choice by any means. Oh, nah. But when so, you're 17 year old and you're freebasing it in an alley, it it, <laughs> it slowly becomes your favorite. Well, thing. you know. Um, <clears throat> Desperate times and and so on and so forth and all that yeah. <laughs> um, but so today's topic is one that I've wanted to cover for a, a really long time. Ever since I had um, the thought that I'd like to do a, a podcast about anything, really, um, I always wanted to find a way to work this topic into a show. And uh, you actually were kind enough to send me an article um, from uh, the University of Toronto, I believe. Yep. Um, by a woman named Veronica Patilitsina. I butchered that, and I apologize. Um, closest I would have gotten to. But uh, the, the title of the article is It's Okay to Mourn the Loss of Your Idols. And that's about the most succinct way I can think um, to, to phrase what we're going to be talking about. Um you know, everybody has these figures, whether it be in music or in acting, uh, in literature, who really connect on a deeper level. Um, you know, every, everybody's fans of something, but then there, then there are those individuals who just hit so much harder and so much deeper for you. Um, I'm I'm sitting here obviously rambling. Give 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 me some thoughts. Yeah. So absolutely. Um. So this conversation really harkens back to a time, not when we were much younger, not much stupider either. Uh, only a handful of years ago. Um, I believe the last time was it was I think it was Leonard Nimoy, when Leonard Nimoy passed. Um, I was in a very shaky time of my life, and so were you. And uh, Leonard Nimoy's passing resulted in a couple of tear-filled phone conversations that lasted the better part of an hour, just kind of 
trying to figure out like what the world was going to be after Leonard Nimoy. And it was a very strange conversation. And the question came up at that time. Uh, I wonder if other people were feeling this way. Well, and, you know, I, whether I had truly quantified it or not, I had dealt with, with that phenomenon previously. Um, but it was, um, it, it, it was directed towards people, um, that, most of my other friends didn't have a connection with, so that conversation never really took place. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the the one that I've always given to people um, is Ronnie James Dio. Sure. Now, um, I discovered Ronnie James Dio when I was like 13 or something like that. Um, you know, I was a huge metalhead, and I found a compilation... CD at Walmart. It was called Black Sabbath, The Dio Years. Sure. And all I knew of Black Sabbath was Ozzy Osbourne, and I look at it, and I don't recognize any of these songs, but I'm jonesing for whatever I can get my hands on that says Black Sabbath. So I listened to it, and he just struck me. Um, When he was diagnosed with cancer, I actually wrote him an email that I actually saved a copy of the email, and it's written horribly, because I was probably 13 or something. Um, Do you have it? Do I have it? Yes, I have it. Oh, okay. Like right now? Why? <laughs> Do you want me to read it? That's a really personal letter. It's up to you, but I would be fascinated to think or to hear what thirteen-year-old Zach had to say. Um, I mean, I can get it pulled up. Um, this is too much. Like, you let me know. <laughs> but no, it's it's fine. It's just it's written horribly. Like I could I could articulate myself so much better now. That but that's the beauty of it. Um, but anyway, yeah. The, keep going. The point being. Um, I'll, I'll never forget the day that he, I found out he died. Um, there's a, a website called blabbermouth.net. Um, the way that that metal show <laughs> described it was essentially the CNN for hard rock and heavy metal. <laughs> um, but I used to go there like multiple times a day and I'm just sitting on my couch and I'm scrolling through um, Blabbermouth, and I go on to some other websites, and I go back to Blabbermouth, and it has updated with the story that Ronnie James Dio has passed away. And I vividly remember just putting down, I was using a laptop, I remember putting down the laptop on the couch, getting up and going and retrieving my vinyl copy of Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell, and bringing it out, dropping the needle on it, and I plugged in headphones, and I just put the headphones on, and I just sat there and wept. Because, I mean, his voice was just so powerful, and it 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 demanded emotion, and you were more than happy to give it to it. And also, just you know, you never really heard anybody ever say a bad word about him. So it it also just kind of felt like to me this this force of relatively unmatched kindness from somebody of such stature. That had been lost from the world. Understood. <clears throat> I think that there's a lot of people who would agree with you too. Um, I have this pulled up if you actually want to hear it. Man, maybe just a small excerpt. I'm not, I don't. I'm not here to just you know expose you to the world. Uh, it, it's really not that long. Um, 
It says, Dear Ronnie, I'm very sorry to hear of your cancer. I can't imagine the pain you and your family are experiencing. I hope you make a full recovery. I've been a fan of your music and every single band you've been in. I know it's a little late, but I love the new Heaven and Hell record. It's some of my favorite music by you ever. You're an amazing frontman, and I hope you get well as soon as possible so you can continue to create amazing music. God bless you, Ronnie, and I hope you have a very happy holiday because it was around Christmas when I when I sent it. And you were 13 when you were at this, approximately? Uh, 2009, so I was 15. 15. Still really articulate for a 15-year-old, so, you know. Well, I didn't want to sound like a fucking putz. Well, that's just it, though. <laughs> when, when, you're going through, when you're going through something and people are giving you their outcry, it doesn't really matter if you sound like a putz. What really matters is that the people are thinking about you. And so if Ronnie Dio read that letter... Do you think that he would have been any more surprised or impressed by a 15-year-old that was weeping and sobbing for him or one that was articulate? I don't know. Um, I, th- I think, honestly, and this is somewhat comical, but I think it, he would have been even – I think he would have been more tickled if I had made some kind of mention of Rainbow because that was in the 70s. Yeah, sure. At least the Heaven and Hell stuff was current. Right. Yeah, I think that I think that he would have been a happy camper just reading that he'd touched the life of a 15-year-old somewhere, man. Well, I mean, you know, work like that and and not even just spe- speaking specifically of Ronnie, but you know, music, cinema, literature, it it is forever. If, if it's truly great, it'll stand the test of time. Yeah, I agree. For sure. Um so there there's one of mine that I just absolutely lost my shit over. Yeah. Um who, who's somebody that you think that that's really made that kind of impact to you? <laughs> so um, we kind of talked briefly about Leonard Nimoy, and yeah, Leonard Nimoy messed me up. But the most, I think, more recently than Leonard Nimoy was Alan Rickman. Alan. Yeah, Alan Rickman. That's his name, right? That's embarrassing, right? <laughs> you were talking about it just fine in the car. Yeah. So that that's just it is what it is. Alan Rickman. Um, I really came into Alan Rickman with his uh, portrayal of Severus Snape in the Harry Potter series. And I can't... We don't have the time to get into the Harry Potter series today. No, that is at least an episode. One episode, All of its own. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But he he was such a huge thing for me because, like, I I couldn't close my eyes and imagine any other actor being Severus Snape. Uh, he just captured what Snape was perfectly. Now, knowing you like I do, and as, as big a Harry Potter fan as I know you are, uh-huh. I actually would have guessed that you would have, well, so uh, let me pose it to you like this. Okay. Do you have more of an affection for Alan Rickman as Severus Snape? Versus his role in Sweeney Todd, because it seems to me like you like Sweeney Todd even more. Uh, both is the correct answer, uh, Jerry. So no, here's the thing. One dollar, Bob. One dollar, Bob. So yeah, um, I love Sweeney Todd um, and Judge Turpin, uh, who is Alan Rickman's character. I knew I would not be able to call the name immediately, so That's I just okay. didn't. No, try. I got you. Um, it's a great role, but it's one movie, um, and he did. He he served that that role perfectly to the T. Even in death, he served that role. But I had seven books and eight movies yeah. to learn, to know, 
and to understand what drove Severus Snape to be who he was. And the only actor that I think could do him justice would be like Adam Driver as as a child, like capturing Severus Snape as a youth. I I think there's been talk of that. There has. That's why that came up. Um, but yeah, when you when you learn to love a character over the course of seven books and eight films and you watch their dynamic change from a mild inconvenience to the center of problem to the underdog hero. Um, I don't know that there's an actor on earth that could portray that form of transformation like Alan Rickman did. So here's something that I've never actually asked you and and I've never actually had the thought to um, up until now. Why do you think the the Leonard Nimoy one is is the common one between us? Yep. Because like because like you said, I remember you calling me. You were sitting in a bookstore. I was. And we just like I was just getting home from work, and I'm like, "Hey, what's up?" He goes, "Did you hear Leonard Nimoy died?" Yeah, and you know, off to the races we are. <laughs> um, what do you think? If if you had to quickly dive into it, what do you think? made that one so impactful for you because i i can say to me uh to a certain degree it simply has to do with the role that he portrayed because i was a huge star trek fan but i i don't know that i ever really got that from you yeah so uh yeah i I get it um so here's the thing i'll kind of compare the two uh not you know cover to cover because they're two very different actors they do very different things the the, the two being alan rickman and leonard nimoy. alan rickman and leonard nimoy correct okay. so when i really fell in love with alan rickman's ability as an actor and him as a person i was a teenager right and i was an impressionable an impressionable kid <sighs> fuck that word up um you're only on beer too Hoss. I, listen here it's been a long we, week. We had a pre-beer. Yeah, it's been a long week, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was, a, I was a teenager, man. I was a punk, too. And so I identified with that dark bitterness, even though I myself didn't really have a great reason to be dark and brooding. I was a, I was a punk kid. No, but I, ab- I absolutely get it, because I, I, to a, a pretty large degree, was the same way. You were you were a teenager and you were feeling kind of angsty yeah. and you wanted to fit in somewhere. And if yeah. my life is the shits and I've got all this reason to feel these feelings, then I belong with all the other people who may or may not have reason to feel these feelings. Yeah. And it's incredible to see a character in a fantasy story who was subjected to the same torments I was as a kid being picked on, uh, being rejected, uh, all of these things. You that, never told me anybody called you half blood. You know, it's damn Dracos, <laughs> right? It was Draco. Anyway, no, but but so that's that's where I came by Alan Rickman. Um, that was to, to make that long story even shorter. Um, I chose that that behavior. I I identified with that because that's who I felt like I was when I was a teenager. Um, but to harken back to Leonard Nimoy. Um, I get to see him through rose-tinted glasses because I was a kid. I was four, five, six years old, and my yeah. dad watched the first-generation Star Trek um, 
and I would just post up in the living room with my little TV dinner, and we'd watch episodes. Uh, like one of them was where the rocks were alive and they were attacking people. <laughs> um, but there was nothing wrong in the world then, man. It was, you know, I, I woke up every morning. I went to school. I got to make macaroni art at school. I came home, had lunch, got to play video games. Everything was, you know, it was a beautiful life that I had. And uh, the Star Trek that we got to watch <laughs> is, is a part of that. You, it, it, you get to view it through uh, rose-tinted glasses. And if, you, if anybody heard that, that was my wife streaming upstairs, getting very pissed off at a golf ball. Also, I'm I'm gonna put this on tape. <laughs> tape. God damn, I'm old. What the hell? <laughs> I'm gonna put this on tape. All right. So so that I can hold you to this. Okay. You have to help me convince your wife convince your wife to come on here at some point. About streaming. Yeah. Okay. Because me and her both have experience with it. I stream. She streams a lot more than me. Well, but... once once we can maybe upgrade the equipment a little bit, I I wouldn't be upset at all at having both of you on. Well, there's an interesting conversation that I want to have with you, and it involves doing live podcasts on Twitch. Um, D- uh, Pappy has had the same uh, uh, conversation with me. Oh, has he? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I watch... I'm a... not opposed to it by any means. I think it'd be a blast. I, I watch a streamer um, call out to Fat Bob Marley. Um, he's the man. He's from the Netherlands, and uh, he's a gaming streamer. And uh, on Saturdays at about noon, he switches over to a podcast-style yeah. Uh, project and then after his podcast, he uh, hosts an anime movie for everybody in his Discord. So <laughs> he's a super cool dude. Um, but I saw that and he was streaming with one of his mods, and I was like, "That sounds like such a blast, dude! I would love that." Yeah, I by no means am I am I opposed to it. Um, it it's really more an issue of Wait. a a equipment. Because mm-hmm. um, if, if I'm gonna do it, I want to do it at least half well. Yeah, sure. You know, how much time did I just sit here fiddling with the equipment I already have? Yeah. Just trying to make sure it sounded as good as possible before we rolled. I gotcha. Um, but also the other thing is, is just, well, I don't really have a second. So Time is really I have no end for this bit, so I'll take a small bow. <laughs> um, but, but I digress. I'll, I'll tell you what. Something that's just fucked up. Um, when Alan Rickman passed, that was tail end of 20... 16 leading into 2017, I believe. What a beautiful bridge, by the way. Um, I believe that was the time frame. But I, I think you're right. The exact year notwithstanding. Yep. Um, right at that same time, you had, like, Alan Rickman passed. Um, they, 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 he passed just after the new year. Just prior to the new year... Um, Lemmy Kilmister of Motorhead passed. Yeah, he sure did. Um, and right around the same time as Alan Rickman, uh, Glenn Fry passed, um, which really tore me up bad because I I love the Eagles just as a band, mm-hmm. um, but also that's one of my dad's favorite bands. So um, that was one way that we could kind of bond in terms of music because a lot of our musical tastes are different, but we both liked the Eagles. Yeah. Um, and Glenn Fry um, sung his favorite song, mm-hmm. which is Desperado, and he sang, <laughs> he sung, my English, Jesus, and he sang my favorite song, which was Lion Eyes. Yeah. Um, so that was just a real kick in the pants. And just um, for the integrity of the conversation, uh, Rickman died uh, January 14th of 19... Or, I'm sorry, 2016. He died one month before his 70th birthday. 
Okay, so I had it a year two forward. Yep. Okay. Um, one thing that I, I, I wanted to cover on this episode is... This is not something that... This whole topic is not something that's outwardly talked about. Um, and, you know, I've even seen people mocked for it. Um, you know, this isn't on the same level, but... You remember there was the line in the Bowling for Soup song, uh, Punk Rock 101, that the girl cri- that the guy made fun of the girl because she cried because she thought Bon Jovi broke up. Sure. So nobody's even dead in that scenario. Right. She just cried because she thought a band broke up. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that this isn't something that is broadly accepted, I guess, for lack of a better term? <clears throat> That's a tough question. Um, I can I can hypothesize. I can theorize on it. Um, so here's the thing, or at least in my eyes, this is how I see it. When you mourn the loss of a family member, okay, it is expected for you to mourn, and it's because you are a blood relative of that individual. When you are mourning the death of a friend... It's because you chose that person to be in your life, and they chose you back. I think that mourning the loss of your heroes, or mourning the loss of your idols, or a a famous individual feels more taboo because there wasn't the choice for you to be their fan. You chose them and... I don't know. It feels weird to say they didn't choose you back. Uh, I think that's part of the territory of being famous, but I think that's really what it is in that a lot of people view famous people, idols, people like that to be one-dimensional. And the fact that you're mourning the loss of that one-dimensional creature being so forth uh, feels ingenuous. Does that make sense? Do you mean disingenuous? Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry, love you. Okay, it it was it wasn't coalescing there. Um, see, I had never I had never approached it that way. Um, you'll come to find, folks. Generally, questions I ask, I've already formulated an answer to, but I'm curious as to possibly another opinion. Sure. Um, but, and I'm usually that wall that he bounces his questions off of. Just oh, very, so we're very clear. Very much so. Um, but to me, it just always kind of struck me as, why are you so broken up? You didn't know them. Um, it's a very superficial, um, type of ridicule, I guess I would say. But it's kind of, you know, you didn't lose a family member. You didn't lose a friend. You didn't lose a pet. You didn't lose somebody or something that you had personal interaction with um but to me it, it they're they're no less important really um you know I, without g- getting into specifics and I don't know that I ever tr- truly will on that level uh, on this show but I can say there's been certain content creators whether they be actors or musicians or authors who um, my life would be very different, possibly non-existent, 
um, if it weren't for those people. I, I think everybody, to a degree, if they're really honest with themselves, has been placed in those emotional situations. Well, and, and I'm going to piggyback off of something you said. You used the word superficial. And that, I think that that's a really beautiful statement in that I think that if somebody is nixing you because of your emotional reaction to a famous person's death, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a death. If we're really honest with ourselves, uh, just recently the bass guitarist and singer of a band that I'm really in love with left the band, and I felt a horrible, nagging, emotional response to it. Um, I, I like that. That was me being selfish. I know why he left the band, and I know that he did it for his own mental like health. Uh, but it's it's easy. Go, go ahead and plug them like they need the publicity. I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to plug them. But it's Nightwish. It's Marco from Nightwish. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, is that uh, uh, like from a selfish response, it's me saying I love this band with or with Marco. Um, and as a human being, I'm like, of course you need to serve yourself. Of course you need to take care of you and your mental health. It's, it, there's always going to be that duality. But what it boils down to is this. If there's a somebody in your life who is nixing you because of your emotional response to the loss of a famous person, I think that at best your relationship with that person is superficial. I think that any person who knows your passion and loves you and loves what you love will never say something like that because that deep, true, enduring love that you have for people in that relationship, for people that, that know you, they're not going to destroy or tear you down because you're voicing your emotions. That's not – I don't think that that's realistic. Well, in the way that you just phrased all of that, um, it, it, it kind of brought an idea to mind. Um, and I, this, is, this isn't something that we're going to get into here because Jesus Christ would be here all day. Yeah. If we keep just tan, tangenting off of just, you know. Yeah, just riffing. Hey, let, let, this emotional topic, let's, tan, let's tangent off to this other deeply emotional topic. Yeah, sure. But... Um, I would kind of, I would kind of like to do uh, a show now that I think about it on the idea of fandom, okay. Um, particularly in terms of um, how passionate that fandom can be, yeah, and people's reaction to it, okay. Um, but sign me up. You know, we have a we have a mutual friend of ours. Um, what are we going to call them? Scott or Anchor. Anchor? Anchor. Okay, I love it. Go on. I, I generally try I generally try and call people something related to them. But okay, go on. You have to know them to still know who it is. Yep. Um but I'll never forget just the absolutely heart wrenching uh outpour uh. of emotion from them when two two people in particular. It was Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park and Chris Cornell. So I know who Anchor is. Yes. And, and the, you know why I chose that name. Well, there's a bit of that story. Um, I was the one who had to tell him that Chester passed. Oh, my God. I found out before he did, and I called him, and I said, hey, Anchor, did you see the news? And he's like, no. And I was like, I can't be on the phone with you. <laughs> and he was like, why? And I was like. I will text you. I said, it's Chester. And the phone just went silent. And this is a person. 
who used Chester Bennington as a crutch to get through the hardest times of his life. And I had to tell him that his idol was dead. So, yeah, I know who Anchor is. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give you, um, in that similar vein, um, God. this will possibly uh, segue into uh, a question you had said you wanted to talk about uh, yep. on this episode. But, so, back in the early to mid-2000s, um, Melissa Etheridge was diagnosed with cancer. Yep. And um, I didn't, you know, I was probably, I was less than 10 years old at the time. Um, and I didn't know about it until she came out on, it was either the, the uh, American Music Awards or uh, the Grammys. And they had said that she was in remission. Yep. And it was her first, it was going to be her first public appearance, I believe, since uh, being diagnosed. And in talking to my mother about it in, in subsequent years, the one thing that she kept always saying was, if she had passed, she had no idea how she was going to tell me. Oh, yeah. Because I don't know in how much um, detail I've mentioned her previously on this show, but Melissa Etheridge was the first music I can ever remember hearing. Yeah, understood. Um, and just to the point where um, her Yes I Am album, my mother and I wore out multiple copies of that CD, not not vinyl or, or tape, but CD. We had to buy multiple copies of the CD because we burned through it. So imagine how many playthroughs that must take. Um, but she's been such a, a, a pivotal influence in my life and I'm sure she'll come up on, I don't know how many other episodes pertaining to music, but if she had passed away, my mom don't know, my mom didn't know how she would have ever told me. And I don't know, honestly, how I could have ever taken it. Um, and I, I, I guess we'll kind of use that to segue into the, the question that you posed to me, uh, in the car. So I'll let you kind of explain the, the premise of what you wanted to talk about and I'll let you kind of, uh, go first in talking about what your answer would be to the question. Well done. And thank you for covering for my ass. Um, so that's why <laughs> nobody would have known shit. Well, that's if you what... hadn't have said anything, because every, anybody who has listened to this show is used to just me fucking rambling anyway, yeah. which I warned Derek about when we started this. I'm like, I'm going to do probably 75% of the talking, that's fine. and you're just my sounding board. Well, yeah, I, I just like to sell myself out. That's fine. Um, my wife was asking me about uh, a great song by The Used, and she didn't know the name of it and still doesn't, so it is what it is. So, uh, ooh, excuse me. So, well, we were chatting a little bit earlier to pick up our beverage of choice. And it occurred to me that this was the conversation that we would be having and we had really bonded over well me, me and Zach were great friends for a long time. But uh we had that that moment of like sincerity of openness um about Leonard Nimoy and it kind of led me to stay up late a couple of nights and just consider what those those heroes really mean to me and who they were as people 
even more than the portrayals that they are and the music that they create. Reload. Got it. And so my, I, I had thought about like who would affect me today if somebody had passed. That's kind of a morbid question because you're kind of considering all of these heroes, all of these people who are creating immortality for themselves and the, the art that they make, the music that they create, the people that they are. Who would affect me? Well, you know, one, th one thing that I would say is that there's kind of a, there's somewhat of a duality between considering the mortality of your idols because, in a way, it, you're kind of facing your own as well because, you know, it, generally these people come into your life at, at a young, very young age mm -hmm. and you just look at them as they're there. Right. They've always been there. They're always going to be there. Right. Um, and to to come to grips with the fact that they may not always, they will not always be there, um, is to a degree to deal with the fact that you will not always be here. Oh sure, and that that's very true. Like recently about Neil Peart, um, he had always been there, and then he was no more, and that that really devastated me. Uh, but I had been thinking. Damn, about he was it. good. He was, wasn't he? God. But uh, the thing is, is that I really. I learned to love actors and actresses based on the characters that they portray. I know yeah. that that's a shallow reason up front, but then when you really explore that individual's work because of a single work that you followed, you really begin to see them as more than just that portrayal. And it's a very bizarre juxtaposition to uh, what, they, what they do. Um, one of the best examples that I can think of would be, uh, and we've kind of talked about him in the car, Gary Oldman. That man can be... Anyone he wants to be. Yeah. Anyone. I've seen him be the kind puppy dog godfather in Harry Potter. I've seen him be the psychopath, evil character in, like, Fifth Element. He's done everything. The man has for, been everything. For anybody who who may not have – the name may not have clicked with immediately or that description, um, he was the actor who portrayed Sirius Black. Yeah. And, and an incredible actor he is. You can put him into any role and he will – Absolutely knock it out of the park. He's brilliant. Um, but I was also thinking of uh, Maggie Smith. Minerva. Minerva McGonagall from the Harry Potter series. She's done... Can uh, we just say a badass? She is. Before anything else. Yeah. She is a certified badass. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, and, and I was talking to Zach about this um, in the vehicle or the car while we were going to fetch our, our beverages. There's never a moment when Minerva McGonagall is on the screen, that I'm not excited to see her. Like, she could be disciplining the students, and I'm like, hell yeah! Get them! Well, she, well, she even does it in... She even deals with her disciplining students in such a way that it's it's entertaining and e emotionally moving. Whether it's, you know, sadness, anger, or just laughter. You know, the, the one that sticks in my head is um it's it, it's in the half blood prince okay where they're talking to her after um uh, they chase snape out of the school no no no, oh, no. Okay. um uh, who who was it who found the, the the necklace in the three broomsticks was it katie or angelina it was i think it was katie 
Um, but yes. But I, but I after the necklace was found, they're in her office, and she's standing there. She's going, "Why is it always you three in front of me?" Right. Yeah. Or or one of <laughs> see the one that I think of is is Harry Potter one when the troll goes to the bathroom and they beat the troll, and she she says to Hermione. Uh, for your serious lack of judgment, five points from Gryffindor. And then for you two. As for you two gentlemen. As for you two gentlemen. Five points. I just hope you realize how, unfor- how fortunate you are. <laughs> You'll, you each will be awarded five points for sheer dumb luck. It's just like her overpowering <laughs> Scottish accent plus her absolute sass, man. She is just a killer Minerva McGonagall. Well, you see a couple of, uh, a couple of moments throughout the first couple of... of Movies and I and I say movies because the, uh, Maggie is particularly um, tied to the films. Uh, you see it. God, what was it? I can't remember what the instance was, but something happened to Harry in the Great Hall, and he just looks up at the long uh, faculty table, and he locks eyes with McGonagall, and she's kind of I think she was fiddling with an owl. Yeah, but she just kind of looks over and just kind of sly winks at him. Yeah, Minerva bought him his, his Nimbus two thousand, and he she looks up at there. He looks up at the table, and Minerva's petting his owl and gives him a wink because she was <laughs> the one who bought it for him. Because little did most people know, Minerva McGonagall was also a seeker, but. It is what it is. Was she? Yeah, that's why she's so enthusiastic when she sees Harry right in front of her window. Full disclosure, um, you know, w- with a, a lot of my fandoms, I'm I'm kind of a jack of all trades in, in terms of fandoms. I, I I'm a jack of all trades, a master of none. Mm-hmm. I know probably more. Not meaning to sound arrogant, but I know probably more than the general public. But I'm also under no illusions that there are. Not so many people who could just school my sorry ass. <laughs> so there's a clip, and I'll show you the picture. This isn't going to serve the audience at all. But in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Harry says uh, that I'm going to make a fool of myself for his first Quidditch game. Hermione... You don't make a fool of yourself. Oh no, Her- It's in your nature. Yeah, Hermione says you will make a fool of yourself. It's no, in your, it's no in your he blood. said you won't. But she says it's in your blood, and she takes him to see a picture where James Potter's the, the name trophy. appears. Yeah, on the right hand side of it is Professor McGonagall's name. Really? Okay, I I never paid really any kind of attention to that. The other one on the other side says J.K. Rowling. It <laughs> doesn't really. Or it says R.J.K. Rowling or something. But well, yeah. Well, there's a bit of just self indulgence. Well, of course. <laughs> At least she wasn't in the movies. But yeah, but that's why she was so excited to see Harry catch the remember all when uh, Draco throws it. But we're really going off track into Harry Potter. World. <laughs> but what it boils down to is... Fin- finally, somebody can help us beat Slytherin. <laughs> but what it boils down to is this. Uh, Minerva McGonagall uh, impacted me in such a way that I really started to do a lot of homework on Maggie Smith herself. Well, and- also, not to cut you off, but we never stated the reason that she was a badass. So, just beyond being a great actress, yeah, um, it was. I believe if it wasn't during both Deathly Hallows movies, it was definitely during Deathly Hallows Part Two. Yeah, I, don't quote me. Um, she was battling cancer. Yeah, while she was making the movie, and nobody knew until after the movies were already out. Yeah, and you know, thank thank the God, thank the Lord that she's still with us today. Um, or whatever you believe in. Thank whatever you believe in. You know, just thank your lucky stars. Sure. Know, whatever the case may be. But 
just she was dealing with a disease that let, let's be frank ends a lot of people's lives yeah and not only has she sustained and endured through the illness but she continued to make what i think you could classify as the end of one of the top five to ten most iconic film franchises ever. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. She was a part of the the end of a saga, and uh, and she did it, and nobody knew about it. She didn't tell a soul uh, that she was dealing with that. Um, one thing I, I really would have liked to have seen, this will be the last we actually talk about Harry Potter on this episode. We're going to do that. But one thing I really would have liked to have seen from her... Um, I would have liked to have seen the, the scene from the seventh book. Spoilers, by the way. Um, do we have to do that? <sighs> I know, I know, but go It's on. the interwebs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, where she was in the common room, and um, one of the um, the Death Eaters, I can't remember their names. They were a brother and sister. The, the brother and sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got um, it. Sped on her. Yeah. And that's when Harry, in the book, Harry pops out from under the invisibility cloak and hits him with the Cruciatus Curse and sends them flying. And that's when he goes, well, Bellatrix was right. You got to mean it. <laughs> no, and she's okay. like, what are you doing? He, he goes, he, should, he shouldn't have insulted you like that, Professor. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I have yet to answer this question. Um. It, it's a tough one for me. My my mind immediately goes to one of two names, and I don't know that I could pick from these two names in any kind of timely fashion on this episode. But one would be, obviously, as I've already spoken about, Melissa Etheridge. Um, her music has resonated with me in such a way. Um, whether it be just really great music or the subjects of her songs speaking to whatever I was going through at the time. Um, and also just a captivating person. If, if you ever get the chance to see her live, I fully recommend it. Even if you're not a huge fan of specifically her, if you're just in a fan of a truly engaging person, um, and great, uh, rock music. And the other would be Vince McMahon. Um, as anybody who knows me at all, has heard ad nauseum, and I can only apologize so much for how much I've inevitably annoyed my friends and family. I'm such a huge pro wrestling fan, and um, for all of my lifetime, this wasn't the case uh, at certain points throughout uh, pro wrestling history, but all throughout my lifetime, the name in the game has been WWE, and through good, bad, and indifferent, that's been Vince McMahon. Uh, he's been at the helm of the company that's created the leader in an art form that I hold so dear. And even through the issues with the quality of the product in the past, however many years, whenever you decided that it was going bad, he's still that guy. He's still that titan. Right. And when he goes, that's truly going to signify the end of a, a, a dynasty, yeah. a, a legacy. I, An era. I don't know that I know that there's a great word to truly encapsulate what he's meant to that world. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so by by looking on the by looking on the clock on the wall here, it's getting to be uh, a quarter past. Get the fuck out. Um, we've gone a little longer on this episode than we typically do, but it, it's been absolutely worth it. Yeah. Um, if if I could leave a message for anybody who may hear this, um, if there's somebody who's created something that you've loved that's had an impact on you, and that person either decides to stop creating or if they pass away, and I can't stress this enough, there's no shame in truly mourning the loss of either that art or that person. And, you know, celebrate them, mourn them, spread their their message or their creations in whatever manner that you choose to. Because you never know who you might allow to be touched in the same way that you were. And also, you're the one who feels that way. Nobody can tell you that's really wrong. Yeah. I uh, I couldn't have put it any better. I tried. But... <laughs> it's not very often I leave you at a loss for words. Listen, talking is what I do. It's what I'm good at. I'm gifted at it. I'm not ju- I'm not knocking you for it. But the thing is is that I agree with everything that you said. Um even more than mourning that loss, you should take it upon yourself to celebrate the art or celebrate the life that that person led. Because even though they may not be producing work anymore, they may have passed, your appreciation and celebration of that work can lead so many other people to the beauty that that individual created. And I think that you you hit it on the head. For sure. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it, it's definitely been a, a heavier topic uh, this week on Tall Tales and Tall Boys. But I think it's one that needed to be explored. Like I said, it's not one I've really heard uh, covered in a in a expanded and meaningful way. Um, but with that, um, typically we do recommendations at the end of the show. Um, so... I'll throw it to you, Joseph. What are we What would you recommend from I'll tell you what. What would you recommend from Maggie Smith? Oh, I have to say it, man. It's gotta be the Harry Potter <laughs> series. Uh, Maggie Smith is a brilliant actor. It's not hard to find work that she's in, but I have to recommend it, it's it's unlikely that any of any of your, your fans won't know what the Harry Potter series is. But those that's what's touched me. Maggie was a brilliant actress in her portrayal. Um, so I can't, I cannot stress enough uh, what Harry Potter meant to me. She was also in Downton Abbey. Uh, she was also in Hook. Uh, she's just done so fucking much, man. So she's also done a uh, um, a guest role or two. Well, I don't know if guest role is the correct word. It might just be cameo. A feature, yeah. But um, on uh, the most recent uh, seasons of Doctor Who. Oh, really? With uh, Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor, yeah. Oh, okay. I yeah, believe. that's awesome. I didn't I actually know that. Um, and uh, the, the reason that I said um, pick something from the person that you most uh, dread passing rather than somebody who's already passed is um, one issue that I would really like to see curtailed as much as possible because it's not going to be rectified. Mm-hmm. But... Appreciate the people while they're still here. Of course. 
absolutely. So any any love, any praise, any admiration that you feel for these people, make sure they know it. Um, because I truly feel that people, and this is a highly personal thing, but I feel like people who leave this world should know what they meant to others who are being left behind and that them being here mattered. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if, as far as me, um, really anything Melissa Etheridge has ever done, um, if I hadn't narrowed it down to one thing, I would say go find a copy of her greatest hit CD. Personally, I think she has done one of the greatest uh, compilation albums that there is because I feel like most compilation albums are not truly encapsulating of what the artist did, but I feel like hers really is. Um, and it's just the collection of most of her best work uh, mm-hmm. up until the mid-2000s. Oh, yeah. I um, agree. But it's time for us to get on out of here. So, as we do at the end of every episode, anybody who's out there listening with us, hopefully you're uh, safe and well and possibly having a beverage along with us. Uh, if you are, please all raise them up. May you get what you want, may you get what you need, but may you never get what you deserve. We'll see you next time, guys.